Hi there, my name's Oshin Lunny and welcome to Audio Talks, presented to you by Harman. And in this episode, we will be exploring the world of sacred music with someone who is uniquely placed to offer a fresh perspective. I'm delighted to be joined by beatboxer, Zen music artist and Buddhist monk, Yogetsu Akasaka. Welcome to the podcast, Yogetsu. Thank you for <laughs> inviting me here. My name is Yogetsu Akasaka I'm from Japan. Amazing. Thank you so much, Yogetsu. That's the most distinctive opening remarks we've ever had on the podcast. Wonderful stuff. Um, so you mentioned you're from Japan. Let's start at the beginning. You were born in Tokyo in 1982. And of course, this is a time when a lot of great rap music was being made in the major American cities. Uh, what was your path to becoming a beatboxer in Japan? All right. It was um, about 17 or 18 years ago. Uh, one of my old friends one day asked me to say, um, hey, listen to this CD. He played some CD and I heard some beats are coming. And uh, he also told me, hey, he's making this sound with his mouth. It blew my mind and that was the start. Amazing. So you totally caught the bug based on that recording that your friend played you. That's brilliant. And so then you really got your skills together as a beatboxer. Uh, you became well-known in Japan and then you started traveling the world with your beatboxing. What was that experience like, traveling with your music? I was traveling Australia in the United States as a busker. It's a, it's a, a beatbox in the street and making money. And uh, it was really tough, but uh, it was really, really a good experience as a performer. Because busking is something you perform in front of people, even though you are not really, you know, asked to. But exposing yourself in the street, get people's attention, it's really, really good practice as a performer. Totally. Yeah, th those are some kind of life skills. You can't really study them and then apply them. You just sort of have to do it and learn as you're doing, and then you, you really know how to do it. But I'd say every busker has a, a wide variety of experiences. Was there one place that was the most friendly audience for you? Australia was pretty friendly because there were so many tourists. Yeah, Australia was good. Nice. That's good. Glad to hear that. Yeah, the Aussies are a great bunch altogether. And, you know, you're earning a living from performing live on the streets of these major cities all over the world. Some days are going to be great. Some days are going to be not so great. It must be quite like a humbling experience on a regular basis. What kind of mindset do you think you need to be a successful street musician? Oh, that's a tough question. You can enjoy your life even when are not really in a good situation. Um, right, especially for buskers, you know, one day you feel like you became a star, but one day you it feels you you are just no one. You feel like like no one's no one's wanting you. As a whole, it's it was a it's a, it's a really really good practice of life. As long as you you can't actually handle it, it's gonna be really it's going to be really, really tough. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Maybe it's not for everyone. I mean, uh, you say there it's great life practice. It's very character building, but it sounds like it is not an easy path to choose for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and speaking of which, let's now talk about the incredible next stage of your journey. And you became a Buddhist monk. What's the story behind that? And what inspired you? Yes. My father uh, gave me the this opportunity uh, to become a Buddhist monk. It's because uh, when I was in high school, when my father was 50s, um, he decided to become a Buddhist monk. 
And she left our home and he went to a monastery and practiced there for a couple of years. After he left the monastery,、uh, he became a local representative of the local temple. And he also asked me to succeed him in the future. And、um, I made up my mind at some point to succeed him. Yeah, that's the point. Wonderful. So it's kind of a, a bit of destiny in there as well, a bit of family history, and, and also like a, a pretty brave choice, I would say, to become a monk after being a you know, global traveling beatboxing busker is a huge change. So, how did this kind of change your life and how quickly did it happen? It was just because my father asked me to, to become a Buddhist monk as early as possible. And he told me that、uh, if you are going to succeed me earlier, the better. Because the practice is gonna, you need to use your physical body. And if you're younger, you can just remember anything、um, quicker. So the, the sooner, the better, the younger, the better. That's what he told me. And also, he told me that when he was turning to be 70s, and he told me hey, if someone turns to 70s, No one knows what's going to happen to him or her. And if I get some disease or anything, and if I cannot work anymore, I need to ask someone else to succeed me. And if you are a monk and do some ceremony instead of me, you can, you can succeed me when I get disease or anything, and you cannot chant or you can't do、uh, any kind of ceremony, I need to ask someone else. Then, if someone else comes, there's no turn for you. So, if you are going to succeed me, you need to, be, you need to become a monk and go, need to go to the monastery as, as soon as possible or as early as possible. And that's what he told me about seven or eight years ago. Then, it was really while I was traveling the world, but、um, that made me feel okay, I'm gonna I need to give up my、uh, career as a musician. And I decided to become a Buddhist monk. Wow. I mean, that's such a huge step. You know, you really did step to the plate, as they say.、Uh, you changed your life completely and you became a proper Buddhist monk. But as many of our listeners will probably know, of course, you did not stop making music entirely and creating, but you kind of came back. Uh, and, and made this great music, but with Buddhism at its heart. In fact, your live looping remix of the Heart Sutra racked up a magnificent 5.4 million views on YouTube and counting. So, I mean, how did you come to this realization that you could combine your beatboxing and your music skills with Buddhism? Yes. After leaving monastery, I,、uh, I lived back in Tokyo, where I was born and raised. I wanted to keep my music. Keep on my music musician's career, but at the same time, I was thinking I need to do something as a Buddhist monk. My thinking was maybe I can combine my music and Buddhist chanting. One day I tried singing on top of my music, it sounded very, very, very well for me. And、um, yeah, that made me think oh, maybe I can try with this,、uh, try this music in front of people. That's That was the beginning. Wonderful. And, you know, you've kind of embraced new technology and you have a loop station and you're mixing the very ancient wisdom and the, the sacred music of Buddhism with new production techniques. And you're also embracing the new way of 
sharing music all over the world uh, via the internet. And you've really embraced this to reach millions of people all over the world. Now, how important is it for you as a monk to be connected with people all over the world and kind of sharing the words of Buddhism in this way? Well, music is very powerful and music is very universal. When I mix uh, Buddhist wisdom uh, with my music, it's going to be very universal. Yeah, compared with um, just chanting in a very traditional way. It's because even for Japanese people, uh, especially young people, many Japanese uh, young people are not really interested in Buddhism or anything. Well, as I thought about uh, Buddhism before, people think about Buddhism as a very sad religion, sad and dark, something we don't really want to see. It's because we do funerals and memorial services uh, as a tradition. So well, people just think about Buddhism as some religion for dead people. You really bring it in into the modern age. You're using modern technology. You're kind of reaching people where they are, which is, you know, on social media with, you know, digital videos, etc. And it feels like it's kind of a fresh take on ancient wisdom. And you're formatting it in a way that the younger generation in particular will really understand. And what's the reaction been like in Japan? Because people might have, like you say, the, the preconceptions that the sutras are for funerals, really. And that's, you know, that's how we kind of interact with the sutras. You know, what's the reaction been like in Japan to this new style of sutra? Yes, um, I, I got so many comments on YouTube um, that are saying, I want to go to the funeral if the funeral is, is like this. Fantastic. <laughs> That's one of the greatest compliments you can have. That's absolutely amazing. Oh, great stuff. And uh, so let's, you know, speaking of which, let's talk a bit about your music and specifically the area of sacred songs. Now, you know, of course, music and dance has been at the heart of many pagan and indigenous rituals for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, later in the West, Plato wrote about the music of the spheres. Kepler uh, noted the link between geometry, astronomy and music. But Buddhism has known about the sacred aspect of music since pre-Christian times. For a complete beginner, how would you sum up the Buddhist approach to music and the role it can play in a spiritual journey? Originally, um, original teacher of Buddhism, which is Shakyamuni Buddha, it's been said that he denied or he, he prohibited singing or dancing. It's because there's some possibility to that we attach to some sort of pleasure. Our main practice now still are meditation. Uh, through the long history of Buddhism, um, Buddhism took many things from other religion or other indigenous traditions. So that's how uh, Buddhism, some Buddhist groups use uh, music and especially Tibetan Buddhist monks use uh, a lot of instruments. They use uh, overtones for chanting. My point is through the long history, Buddhists started to use uh, some sort of instruments and uh, vocal calls to resonate our, our consciousness. That's fascinating. My goodness. Well, it sounds like Buddhism itself has been on a very wonderful journey there to embrace the power of sacred music. But today, sometimes music can be utilized 
as kind of a distraction or as audio wallpaper, something in the background. Um, what do you think that sacred music can teach us about deep listening and the power of presence and intention? I can say sacred music uh, needs to be something that can lead our consciousness to higher state. Well, it's supposed to be something that can expand our mind, that can heal our mind, that can make us feel sort of meditative state or like ritualistic uh, state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's for a completely different purpose than background music, as it were, but it's also very powerful in that way. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, of course, you're now traveling the world, playing to packed music venues and doing amazing intimate retreats. You've just done one in Estonia with the good people at Biohacker Center, I believe. And uh, wellness is cooler than ever before. There's a huge appetite for this kind of thing. Do you think the appetite for sacred music is on the rise? Yes, absolutely. As the uh, people's interest goes to wellness and well-being, of course, music can be for their well-being also. And the more people are interested in wellness, the more people are interested in music that can help their well-being. What I've been hearing is more and more festival, music festivals are going to be holistic. And um, I know there are, there are many psychedelic trance parties that has a holistic area for spiritual music and for healing music. Oh, fantastic. That's music to my ears. I'm happy to hear that. Now, I had a fascinating chat with another of our Audio Talks guests and also a gentleman who was at the Biohacker Summit, the star DJ, Tom Middleton, absolutely brilliant guy, brilliant mind. And he was, you know, just talking over coffee about the role of music as practiced by the ancient Egyptians and about the potential medical and wellness applications of, you know, frequencies and all this kind of stuff. Do you think there is more to rediscover about the power of sacred music? Oh, yes, that's exactly what I've been uh, investigating, exploring myself. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So do you think there's more news on the horizon there? We might be uh, opening up some ancient technologies that we've mm-hmm. perhaps lost touch with. Yes. Excellent. Moving on to another kind of quite a niche area of interest, but I think it's quite a fascinating one. Legendary engineer and producer and uh, Audio Talks guest and very dear friend of the podcast, Frank Filippetti, a a gentleman who's won so many Grammys, I've lost count. Um, He's spoken about the controversy around uh, 432 hertz uh, as in comparison to 440 hertz uh, calibration for sound recordings. And I noticed that you have some 432 hertz recordings on your YouTube can you explain what this is, what the issue is for our listeners? Right. Um, 432 Hz is um, believed as a frequency that can heal our mind. It's related to the frequency that this planet Earth has on its own. Some people deny it and some people say, oh, there's no difference between 432 and 440. I feel there's certainly a difference, especially handbands, um, the instrument that I play. Between 432 and 440, there's, well, for me, there's huge difference. 432 is like for, for healing. And uh, well, in my point of view, or in my experience, 432 is very good 
for healing. And for forty, it's good for having a session with the other musicians. Fantastic. Okay, so the hype is real. Four thirty-two. Check it out. Just go to Yugetsu's YouTube page, and you will see quite a number of gorgeous, like you know, one and a half, two-hour sessions for meditation, for yoga, for sleep and relaxation, uh, recorded in four thirty-two hertz. And uh, I actually listened to one of them last night, and it was just fantastic. It's really something. Now, I've seen you play several times, Yogetsu, and the effect on the audience is always transformative, it's meditative, it's uplifting, and I suspect that a lot of musicians who see you play might be interested in embarking on their own journeys towards making sacred music as well. Do you have any advice for these people? Yeah, if you want to play um, sacred music, you need to understand what is sacred and you need to experience experience some sort of sacred situation you need to investigate sacred rituals how it was treated how it was taught by um, generation to generation once you understand more than yourself you can just uh, try to project that frequency into your music yeah i think that's a that's important thing yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of the work has to start within yourself and then, you know, your music will hopefully be a reflection of that inner journey and the place that you've been and you can communicate this in your music. Well, I hope we, we hear a lot more of that. And let's look at the big picture you'll get to. Now, you, you kind of alluded to this a bit earlier. We live in challenging times. There's pressures, there's stresses, you know, there's all kinds of terrible news you know how do you think that sacred music can help us all to deal with the world we live in today well that's a good point and that's the um huge potential for sacred music well first of all sacred music needs to have some function to heal human mind and at the same time if it can go deeper a different state of mind which can give people a different perspective of their life, which can actually release their negative emotion or their old belief systems. Especially in this kind of hard situation in this world, people first need to be healed because our mentality really affects our uh, collective consciousness. And if people's minds are healthy, our world is going to be healthy. Yeah. So heal yourself, heal the world, and music can play a huge part in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yogeta, I'd like to invite you to choose a track, and it can be totally one of your own tracks. That would be awesome to add to our VIP title playlist. So, what track would you like to add? It's going to be Hot Sutra from my Spotify. Fantastic. That's a, a great choice. Absolutely wonderful. And I am going to contribute myself a track called The Farther Away I Am by Daryl Hall because it's from the album Sacred Songs and the guitar playing of Robert Fripp is just divine. Okay, and finally, I'm very grateful that you're going to be sharing a exclusive live recording with our very lucky listeners here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sacred music, Yogetsu style. Can you tell us a bit about the techniques you use and also when and where this was recorded? Right. I do live performances uh, using looping equipment called Loop Station. So um, every sound you hear is basically recorded in live. So no pre-recorded sounds. 
I record my beatbox and chanting and singing uh, with my loop station. And also I play handband. So um, what you're going to hear is live looping, which is not pre-recorded. And also only I usually improvise. So the music is something only happens once. The live recording was uh, recorded in Estonia. So I'm going to share uh, some of the recordings I had in Estonia. This one is especially recorded in a restaurant called Oasis. It's a really nice vegan restaurant in Tallinn, Estonia. So I hope you enjoy. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Yogetsu. And I've just added that wonderful vegan restaurant in Tallinn, Estonia, one of my favorite places in the world, to my to-do list. And uh, thank you so much for bringing this to our listeners. Take it away.
Amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely wonderful. Oh, listen, what a, a beautiful way to round off this season of Audio Talks. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Yogetsu Akasaka. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. And uh, we will, of course, be linking to Yogetsu's social media in the show notes. And uh, please do reach out to him. And I'm sure you can catch him live playing all around the world and have a very special sacred music experience of your own. So listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment and share Audio Talks with your friends and family. If you're enjoying the Audio Talks series of podcasts, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your favourite podcasts and leave a nice review. It really does mean a lot and it helps new listeners get to know about the amazing guests that we talk to in every single episode like Yogetsu. So this is the last edition of this series, but Audio Talks will be back next year with more fascinating people and audio VIPs. Many thanks from me to the dream team behind the scenes, including the great Carol Campbell, Yvonne Ketterer, Marika Bakker from Harman, and Martin Ebert, Andrea Mitbrot, and Miriam Itamer from Archetype. In the meantime, for more exclusive content, some behind-the-scenes goodies and maybe even some competitions, feel free to connect with us over on the Instagram. You can find us at Audio Talks Podcast. We'll be back soon for some more legendary Audio Talks. See you next year.